ask you guys to turn to Romans. We've been going through Romans now for a while. The title of our series is Together for Good. And God is working all things together for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. And He is working, working it out practically in these last couple of chapters. Last week we talked about our um, relationship to the authorities, to the appointed authorities, the powers that be. And that scripture ended with the debt that we owe, we should pay it. So if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, pay revenue. If you owe respect, pay respect. If you owe honor, pay honor. All right, That's where that scripture ended and where this scripture picks up. And you need to know that little bit of background. Let me ask you this. How does it feel to be in debt? How does it feel to be in debt? Not so good usually, right? I mean, not so good usually. Credit cards, school loans, even a home mortgage or personal loans, it can feel like this incredible weight. And that, that there's this that there's this huge burden that you bear, this weight of debt. And that word, I think that God is using that word to teach us something as we open our scripture today. That, that, that burden that we feel that's imposed on us is going to inform one really important thing about the Christian life, and it's this. How we love one another. How we love one another, because love is a debt. Let's turn to the scripture together. Romans 13, beginning at verse 8. And we're going to just read the first few verses here. Romans 13, verse 8. If you have your Bible, I want to ask you to to go ahead and turn there in front of you. Uh, It's good practice to find the scripture and get that in front of you. It's going to be on the screen, but don't let that be a a crutch. Uh, Open up the word right in front of you. Just a little encouragement. Gary was saying, uh, I think it was Gary earlier, uh, how is it in private? You know, we can do it in public, but how is it in private? And, um, you know, this helps us. This is like practice for opening the word in our homes, um, in our prayer closets. Romans 13, verse 8 through 14. The word says, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you to take this truth, to plant it in our hearts, to water it, to cultivate it, to make it grow. Lord, make it grow in us today. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Love is a debt. Love is a debt. First of all, it's a debt to your neighbor. Love is a debt to your neighbor. The scripture here says, owe no one anything. Right? Pay your taxes, do all the things. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And isn't it interesting that he goes on to list four out of how many commandments? 
Ten Commandments, right? Four out of, t- out of the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting because the Ten Commandments uh, are all about love. Now you might think, wait a second, wait a second. Love? I thought the commandments was a burden that I got to bear, a burden that I got... No, 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 no. You, you misunderstood the whole point. The commandments are about love. In fact, the first half of the Ten Commandments is about loving God. And the second half of the Ten Commandments is about loving God neighbor. Loving God and loving neighbor. And it's that second half of the commandments where these words are drawn from. These four commandments are four out of five of the second half of the, of the commandments. And then he says, and any other commandment, right? So he's not, he, we're not leaving anybody out. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You see, the law is not a list of arbitrary rules. The law is a summary shape of the universe because it's the way life works best. And it's the way life works, period. Because it's love that is the summary of the law. Love is the shape of the universe. And the law of God is a summary of what is good and right and true of what is good and right and true. And if it's good and right and true, then that means that it's a summary of God's own character. That the law is a summary of God's own character. And so God's own character can be summed up with one word. And what is it? Love. God's own character can be summed up with one word. In fact, there's a scripture that says in 1 John, God is love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. We receive love from God, his kindness, his patience, his goodness, his free grace, his forgiveness, his love, his unconditional love. And that's what the first 11 chapters of Romans was all about. It was about explaining how could God love such messed up people like us. That's what That's what God's talking about in the first half, the first 11 chapters really is more than half of the book of Romans, the letter to the church at Rome. And then our response, which begins in chapter 12, is to respond to the love of God with love of neighbor. To respond to the love of God with love of neighbor. Because we know that as Christians, the law can at times become this burden, it can become this weight because we think that we have to do the law in order to be right with God. That's the deception of religion. That's the deception that many of us grew up with. Well-meaning teachers perhaps taught us that you need to do right so that God will accept you. But that is not Christianity. Christianity is God accepts you, now you can do right. And if we get those two things reversed, it just messes up everything. God accepts you, and so you can love. God loves you, and so you can love. The law can be summed up in this one word, love. Let's break that down, all right? Let's break it down. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. How is that about love? Well, let me just give you an idea. How is this commandment about love? Well, I love my neighbor by being faithful in my marriage. I love my neighbor, not just my wife or my husband, but I love my neighbor 
by being faithful in marriage. I love my neighbor by keeping my mind free of lustful thoughts. I love my neighbor by treating women as sisters and men as brothers, refusing to objectify them and treat them as an object for lust. I love my neighbor by keeping this commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Do you see it? What about the next one? You shall not steal. How does, that, how does that help me love my neighbor? Well, I love my neighbor by not taking things without asking. I mean, that's pretty easy, right? Don't take things that don't belong to you. That is a way that I can show love to my neighbor. I love my neighbor by respecting his privacy. And by respecting his property, I love him that way. I love my neighbor by honoring his contribution and by paying him a fair wage, by not stealing from my employees, by not paying them well enough. You shall not steal means I'm loving you. I'm loving my neighbor. And there's a thousand other ways. What about you shall not murder? Well, this one's pretty obvious, isn't it? If you kill someone, you're not loving them. (laughs) But what about this? I love my neighbor by refusing to hate her when she does me wrong. You see, because Jesus told us that murder is really all about hate. I love my neighbor by refusing to hate her when she does me wrong. And you know, the flip side is true too. I love my neighbor by not just not murdering them, but actually seeking their good. I love my neighbor by protecting and defending my neighbor. You see, the command, you shall not murder, has a negative side, but it also has a positive side. It's not just about not murdering, it's about defending life. It's about promoting livelihood. And so to love is to, love my neighbor is to consider how are my actions going to affect my neighbor. You shall not murder. Love your neighbor as yourself. What about the last one? You shall not covet. I love my neighbor by being content. I love my neighbor by resisting envy. When those little seeds of envy begin to to get planted in my heart, what do I do with that? I love my neighbor by refusing them and by seeking contentment in what God has given me and what what God has graciously given me. I love my neighbor, not only by being content and resisting envy, but by sharing my life, by sharing and giving my possessions to others around me, my neighbors. That's how we love, by not coveting. It's not just the negative, it's the positive too. Love is the fulfillment of the law. It's the end result, it's the purpose, it's the motive And we owe God obedience to the law, so we owe love to God and to our neighbor. It's not just obedience, it's love. Love is a debt to your neighbor. And love is a debt to yourself. Verse 9 says, For the commandments are summed up In one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
Oprah Winfrey once said, your life is a journey of learning to love yourself first and then extending that love to others in every encounter. Let me read that again. It's a great quote. Your life is a journey of learning to love yourself first and then extending that love to others in every encounter. I don't always agree with Oprah, but I agree with her here. In a perfect world, this is what we should do. Love ourselves and let that love flow out and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. In a perfect world, this is what we should do. But we don't live in a perfect world, right? We don't live in a perfect world. So love yourself often becomes a never-ending pursuit of pleasure and happiness, of self-fulfillment that never actually does what Oprah says. It never actually turns outward. It just stays inward. Love yourself often becomes a frustrating journey of disappointment and broken relationships, choosing me over you. So how can we love ourselves? God's telling us to love your neighbor as yourself. How can we love ourselves without being self-consumed? There's a French pastor who once wrote, People will never attain to a true self-knowledge until they have previously contemplated the face of God. Let me read that again. People will never attain to a true self-knowledge until they have previously contemplated the face of God. And what is he saying here? He's saying, Before you can truly love yourself, you must first contemplate the love of God. You must first know how much God loves you before you can even love yourself. That's what the scripture is all about. The Bible is the story from beginning to end about God's love for undeserving sinners like us. It's a love story. From beginning to end, it's one story of God's love for undeserving sinners like us. I mean, look at the commandments in this light. The commandments reveal the face of God. The commandments reveal the face of God. The the command that says you shall not commit adultery teaches us that God is faithful. That God is faithful to his promises. The commandment that says you shall not steal tells us that God gives and God shares with everyone. The commandment that says you shall not murder, is it tells us that God is the creator and the protector of life. The commandment that says you shall not covet tells us that God is completely satisfied, completely content in himself. You see, the commandments actually teach us something about God. And when they teach us something about God and we see the face of God, then we can see ourselves more correctly. In fact, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explained to his disciples that they didn't have to cancel or take away the law, but that the law he actually came to fulfill. In every way that God is love, Jesus lived it out. In his life, in every way that God has loved, Jesus lived it out. So when we believe in him, when we trust in him, we experience the love of God. 
And that moment of faith, it frees us. When we receive God's love, that moment of belief, it frees us to actually love ourselves. It frees us because it's no longer about the guilt and the shame and the chains that bind us, as Gary was praying earlier. It's no longer about those things, but it's about the unconditional, sovereign, gracious love of God for people like us. This is what Jesus came to do to fulfill the law, to fulfill the law of love. By living it out himself and giving us the credit and the glory for that. So, to love yourself is to recognize how much you are worth to God. To love yourself is to recognize how much you are worth to God. Let me give you a little application, okay? This afternoon, I want you to take some time to do some reflection. Get out a, a pad and paper, get a notebook, and write down some statements that God would say to you, or that God has said to you, about what He thinks about you, His child. Alright, so here it is. Something like, you are my beloved child. Period. Next line. You are completely forgiven. Next line. You are loved unconditionally. By, and go on and on. Write, fill up a page if you can. Write three things if you can. Write one thing if you can. And then meditate on those truths. Meditate on those truths this afternoon. Ask yourself, do I believe it? Do I believe it? And where there is unbelief and where there is doubt, ask the, ask the Holy Spirit to help you believe it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. But I want you to, to take the challenge and do that this afternoon because it, it is not until you can see the face of God that you can truly know yourself. You can't just know yourself. You can't just love yourself. That will turn into self-destruction. But when you know the love of God, then... You can love yourself truly as you are loved. Love is a debt. It's a debt to your neighbor and a debt to yourself. Love is not only a debt. Love is a fight. Love is a fight. Look at verse 11. Besides this, <laughs> he's like, there's more. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So let us then cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in wild parties and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You see, love is not only a debt, it's a fight. Love is a fight against indifference. Someone once said the opposite of hate is not love. I'm sorry, the opposite of love is not hate, it's 
indifference. Some of you may have heard of a man named Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel was a Holocaust survivor. Laurie, I don't, I'm, I've lost control up here, so if you can put it on the screen, thank you. Elie Wiesel was a Holocaust survivor, and this picture was taken on April 16, 1945, five days after the Allies liberated uh, Buchenwald concentration camp. And Wiesel is in the second row from the bottom, the seventh from the left, right by the column. Having gone through all of that, this is what Wiesel had to say years later. He said, what hurt the victim most is not the cruelty of the oppressor, but the silence of the bystander. What hurts the victim most is not the cruelty of the oppressor, but the silence of the bystander. You see, love is a fight. Love cannot be silent. Love must be active and engaged because it's more than just the warm fuzzies. Love is a fight for the good of the one you love. It must be a fight. It must be active. It must be engaged or it's not really love. Verse 11 says that the hour has now come for you to wake from sleep. The hour has now come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. We owe a debt of love to one another, so we shouldn't get comfortable in our cozy American Christianity. And we shouldn't get comfortable in our cozy COVID American Christianity. Because if it was cozy before, it's even cozier now. And the church needs to wake up. Because I'm afraid, because of the cautions that we've taken, that we need to take, that we've become indifferent, even more so indifferent to our neighbors than before. God help us. God help us. It's so easy to be numb to the pain of our neighbors. It's so easy to get used to the evil in the world out there. I mean, it's so easy to get used to the evil in our own hearts that we just give a pass. We just give a pass to, to the evil in our own hearts. But God wants us to wake up. God wants us to wake up because the day of the Lord is drawing near. Nearer than when we first believed. Nearer than when we first believed. The day is drawing closer and closer. The scripture says here that the night is far gone. The day is at hand. Love is a fight. It's a fight against sleep. It's a fight against indifference. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan, don't you? From Luke chapter 10, verses 29 through 37, Jesus was confronted by a religious lawyer, a, a self-righteous person. And he said to Jesus, he said, what do I need to do to receive salvation? And Jesus said, it's easy. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And those words hit different. Verse 29, uh, Luke 10. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and and he saw him, passed by on the other side too. But a Samaritan, a foreigner, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He put him in his own car, blood and all. And he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and he said look after him and when I return I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses that you have Jesus turned back to his disciples and to this lawyer and he says which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers the 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 lawyer the expert in the law he replied breathless the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You see, this story would have been shocking to its original audience. We've heard it, right? But to them, it would have been shocking to think that a priest and a Levite, the ones who are the most respected in their society, would pass by on the other side. And and yet, they know that it's true. The sting of truth hit them. And when Jesus says, no, it wasn't your leaders who who did this act of love, it was the Samaritan. It was the one who we despise culturally. It was the one who's an outsider who actually took the step of love. You know, I think we can see ourselves in that that parable too, can't we? We can see ourselves in this parable um, because we know how easy it is to be indifferent to the suffering of others. We know how easy it is to turn a blind eye. We know how easy it is not to speak up, to be silent. It's so costly to get involved. And I I think it's key that he mentions the money. The money is important. It was costly. It was costly to show mercy. It was costly to love your neighbor as yourself. You see, love is a fight. It is a fight against indifference. And love is also a fight against sin. Because underneath all of the indifference is a heart that in so many ways still is prone to wander. As the old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Love is a fight against sin. The scripture says here, so let us cast off the works of darkness. 
Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. God's law, as we're faced with the Ten Commandments, it should convict us. We should feel the sting of conscience. We should feel convicted, not just about breaking the rules, but about breaking God's heart, about breaking the relationship, about breaking love. Our failure to love God and neighbor is what sin is all about. Sin is a failure to love God and love neighbor. Think about it this way. If the law is fulfilled by love, then breaking the law cancels love. If the law is fulfilled by love, then breaking the law cancels love. That's why he mentions the wild parties and the drunkenness and the sexual immorality and the sensuality and the quarreling and the jealousy to show us that these are the results of sin and that they actually cancel love. That these things break what God created us for, love. To love Him and to love one another. So how do we fight sin? How do we fight against the remaining sin that's in us? It's not enough to simply avoid it. It's not enough to simply avoid it, but we actually need to take the fight to the sin. Okay, because when you just try to avoid things, eventually you stumble into them, right? <laughs> and so God wants us to do more than that. We need to avoid occasions for sin, right? But we also need to fight it. To fight it, to identify the sins in your life that you struggle with, that I struggle with, that I am tempted by, that you are tempted by, to identify those things and to ask God, how do I fall short? How am I not loving you? How am I not loving my neighbor? How am I breaking the Ten Commandments? Go through the Ten Commandments and just consider, where is the sin in my life? And God says these things need to be cast off. They're works of darkness. They must be attacked and removed from your life. That means taking the fight for love to those things that cancel love. And if you see it that way, if you see sin as a love killer, then you might, you might be a little more motivated to try to kill that sin. If you see it as a love killer, then you might be a little more motivated to actually go and try to kill that sin. And listen, if you're a Christian, you have the power of God to fight sin. That's why he says, put on the armor of light. You are not a weakling. In Christ, you have the power to actually fight sin, but you have to show up to the battle. You have to show up to the battle. And listen, the battle wages when you least expect it. With whatever sin we're talking about, the battle will hit you at, any, at a point when you're not expecting it. And isn't that, isn't that what the enemy does? A surprise attack. And so you have to be ready to fight. Not in your own strength. What does it say? Put on the armor of light. It is not in you, it is in Him and what He provides to you to put on the armor of light. And not only that, but it says in verse 14, I hope we can look at verse 14, it says this, but put on 
the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh. Don't give it any space. Don't give it any room. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's take another look at that Good Samaritan story. Uh, I, I got this understanding from a, a pastor that I, I listen to frequently. He pointed out this about the Good Samaritan. That you need to see yourself not as a potential Good Samaritan. But you need to see yourself as the guy who's been beat up. Beat up by sin, laying on the side of the road, bloody and messy. That that's who you need to see yourself as in the story. Man, that hit me the first time I heard that. Now Jesus does say go and do likewise, okay? So there's some good application there. But first, we need to see ourselves as that bloody guy. Beat up by sin. Beat up by life. Beat up by others. And that Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one who was an outsider. Who came from heaven. And got his hands dirty. Who paid the price in full. That you could not pay. You were left to die. And he gave. He put you on his donkey. And he took you to the end. And he said I, I got it covered. And anything else that, that you owe. I will pay it in the end. Because at the end of the day, we walk away free and forgiven and healed. Jesus paid it all. Jesus loved us by paying the debt of love that we owed. Watch this. Jesus paid the debt that we owe. Jesus fought the fight that we fail to fight every day. That we're called to fight but that we fail to fight every day. Jesus fought the fight so that we could have the victory, so that we could have the life that God wants for us. And so as we, as we go from here today, and before you uh, get out your pad and paper and write down those statements about what is God saying about you, remember what Jesus has done for you. Remember that Jesus lived and died for you. Remember that He rose from the dead victorious so that through His power, you might fight sin. That not only will you fight sin, but you will be victorious over sin. Owe oh, no one anything except to love each other. Owe oh, no one anything except to love each other. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for this, this good news. What started out as a debt and a burden is now a liberation. What started out as, as, a, as, as something that was an obligation is now a joy and a delight that we might actually love you as you have loved us, that we might actually love ourselves. And that we might truly know ourselves and love ourselves because we've been loved by you so that it can overflow into love for others. God, would you make that real in our lives? Would you make it real today? Would you make it real tomorrow and for the rest of the week? Lord, help us to love. Help us to fight for love because you fought for us. 
Jesus' name we pray. Strengthen your people. Amen. Amen.